Hello and welcome to this Lumen Verum Apologetics Lecture by Father Bernard Gordon on the topic, The Fatherhood of St. Joseph. This March 2008 recording comes from one of Lumen Verum's Friday Evening Apologetics Lectures at St. Michael the Archangel Parish in Belfield. Father Bernard Gordon is the first year director at the Seminary of the Good Shepherd in Sydney. I'm going to talk to you about St. Joseph uh, because tomorrow we celebrate his feast day, but from a particular point of view. So we're going to look at the idea of his fatherhood. And we can have a, a question in our mind, is it right to call Joseph father? Is it right to call him father? And if it is, in what sense? And when we look at this, we're going to get a, a great insight into the mystery of the incarnation. And one of the reasons why we want to have a look at this is because whether we live in a crisis of fatherhood or not in the present, a question I'll leave to wiser men than me, it will always be a pressing question for men to ask themselves, what really fulfills them as men and how do they put their lives at the service of women and children? That's always going to be a question. And the Church puts St. Joseph before her, us as an excellent example of what it means to be a holy man, what it means to live a fatherly love. I'm going to take you through the passages that deal with St. Joseph. So, you know, Scripture is the soul of theology, as we say. So if you want a, a bubbly talk from me, I, I don't give them. That's, I'm wasting time. So I'll, I'll take you through different points of the Scriptures, because it's important to know exactly what the Scriptures say. Otherwise, you're punching in the air. So what do the Scriptures tell us about St. Joseph? These kinds of things... First of all, you have the account of two annunciations. You have one annunciation to our Blessed Mother, and you have another one to St. Joseph. And usually we talk about the annunciation to Our Lady. But St. Matthew is very careful to note the appearance of an angel to St. Joseph in a dream. And in that particular annunciation scene, the Angel makes it very clear that Mary conceives what is in her only of the Holy Spirit. So that's very clear. And St. Luke's account makes it clear too. The power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and that Our Lady will conceive only by the power of the Holy Spirit. But then St. Luke does something which is uh, quite interesting. So the virginal conception is quite clear in both the Gospels of St. Mark and St. Luke. It's crystal clear then why is it that you have quotes like these later on? St. Luke in chapter 2 verse 22 notes, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. They brought him, not just Our Lady. In chapter 2 verse 27 again of St. Luke, St. Luke has no hesitation to say, the parents. And in, again, chapter 2, verse 33, St. Luke, without any apology, says, his father and mother. Is St. Luke contradicting himself? Well, clearly he's not. What he's getting you to do is to understand exactly what he means when he says that Joseph is the father. Um, and... Uh, 
it's quite clear that both St. Matthew and St. Luke also give St. Joseph the role of a father. The angel says to St. Joseph, chapter 1, verse 21 of Matthew's Gospel, you shall call his name Jesus. So the custom of the time was for the husband, the head of the family, to have a great role in regard to naming the child. So this is what Joseph does. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. You shall call his name Jesus. You're going to act exactly like a father. Joseph went up to Bethlehem, again acting as a father, because he was of the house and line of David, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, was with child. So Joseph leads his family over to Bethlehem so that they might be enrolled in this census. When the baby is in danger, again, Joseph acts as a father. He rose, knowing the danger to the child Jesus, and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 14. So well is Jesus not known to be an extraordinary figure for many years before he takes up his public ministry, that when he talks about himself as the son of the father, people object. He's the son of Joseph, some people say. John's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 41 to 42. And he's noticed and referred to as the son of Joseph when one of the apostles meets him. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 45. He's known as the carpenter's son. St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 55. Now, the point I would make, first of all, about those quotes is that very clearly in the mind of the apostles, whilst the virginal conception is clear, St. Joseph doesn't have a minimal role in the life of Christ. He is someone of great importance. Now, you might object... He's not mentioned as much as Our Lady or as some other figures. But remember, the Gospels are very short. Whatever they mention is of great importance. So to mention the role of this man who is entrusted with the greatest and most precious gift to the Father is something of great importance. Joseph is given the role to act as a father in regard to Jesus, to take care of Mary. <coughs> And it is because of him that Mary and Jesus are able to live in security and peace. A clarification is given by St. Luke himself in regard to the virginal conception of Christ. When the Lord is just about to begin his preaching ministry, Remember he mentions that long genealogy, that list of the descendants of the ancestors of Christ. And in chapter 3, verse 23, he notes of Jesus being the son, and then he qualifies it, as was supposed, of Joseph. So St. Luke there is really clarifying what he set out in the first chapters of his Gospel that while Joseph has a special role to play, he's not the physical father of Jesus. This maintains the virginity of the marriage of Joseph and of Mary. 
One other scene that helps you to understand what the Gospel writers are thinking about is the scene of the finding of the Lord in the temple. And some look at this and they say straight away, this is dismissing Joseph. He's not that important. So remember the scene when Jesus is found and what does Mary say? Again, without any qualification, your father and I have been looking for you. Notice the way that Our Lady talks. Your father and I have been looking for you. She's recognising a profound intimacy that existed between Joseph, Mary and Jesus. For her to say that implies, of course, that Jesus would have said to Joseph, Abba, Daddy. But again, because you've done your work well, you know the previous clarification of Luke, again, he's not saying that there was any physical involvement of Joseph in the marriage, in the conception of Christ. But, after the conception, he does everything else a father does. He truly loves Jesus with a father's heart and cares for him. Jesus, remember, says that, did you not know I must be about my father's business? And at that point, you can think two things. One is, and the first one is quite clearly true, that Jesus is manifesting his deep awareness that he is a unity with the Father. He is the only Son of the Father, and that's quite true. The second thing you might say would be a mistake. You might say, oh, that dismisses Joseph. He's not important. This is the great dismissal of Jesus saying, get out of my life. But in fact, that's not what happens. What happens emphasizes the importance of Joseph's role. He was obedient to them. So the one who says that I must be about my father's business is obedient to this man. That must say that Joseph is someone of great importance, of great holiness. So even from the Gospel passage you can see that Joseph is someone presented as a man of great importance to Jesus. Now, when you use the word father, there are different ways in which we use the word father. And there are different terms that have been given to Joseph. Very often now, we talk about Joseph as a father, we say, adoptive father. So we're trying to maintain there the virginity of the marriage. Uh, there's another word used which is called putative which is a very cold word, but it picks up what Luke says, as was supposed or as was thought. So putative means picking up this idea that people thought that Joseph was the physical father of Jesus, but in fact that's not the case. But there's a term developed among many great writers, and Pope John Paul II himself picks up on the idea, or the reality. You use the word virgin, virginal fatherhood. So how is Joseph a father? It works something like this. Through the marriage of Joseph and Mary, Jesus is given as a gift by the Holy Spirit, not just to Mary, but to Joseph as well. Joseph and Mary were truly married when Christ was conceived within the womb of our Blessed Mother. Some translations aren't quite... Uh, right then, we're not getting the flavour of the practices of the times. Uh, one writer, called Ignace de la Poterie, in his book Mary and the Mystery of the Covenant, writes about the Jewish practice like this. 
A Jewish marriage does not follow the same customs that we have for a marriage. It took place in two stages. First, there was the making of a marriage contract. At this stage, the young couple did not live together. Both remained for a certain time with their respective families, and it was only after several weeks or several months, according to local custom, that they celebrated the second stage. Now, what he's getting at is, when Mary is approached by the angel, when Joseph is told about her pregnancy, you're not talking about them being engaged like we understand the term. They're married already. Though, according to the custom, they weren't living together just yet. Then the young bridegroom would solemnly go to search for his bride in the home of the parents in order to introduce her to her own home. Only after this phase could they be seen together. Granted that this was the habitual way of doing things, the first solemnity nonetheless constituted a true marriage from the juridical point of view. So the child Jesus enters into a true marriage. So even more than talking about an adoptive fatherhood, uh, by this we mean you have the family already and you say, I'll accept you into my family. It's far deeper than that with Joseph and Mary and Jesus. It's that they're already married and Jesus, the child, enters into that marriage. The marriage of Joseph and Mary as husband and wife. The conception takes place by a unique intervention, by the power of the Holy Spirit alone. But nevertheless, the Holy Spirit gives the gift of that child to both of them. This is the foundation for Joseph's fatherhood. It's fatherhood in the Holy Spirit by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, one example of the fathers, the early fathers reflecting on this, is St. Augustine. And St. Augustine talks about Joseph being very upset because even in those times uh, there were arguments about the role of Joseph in the life of Mary. And you'll see that argument in art form. You know, we've all seen pictures of Joseph. Some of them show him as an old man who is bald. Why is this so? Because there was a heresy in the early centuries which doubted the virginity of the marriage of Mary and Joseph. And you had some of the apocryphal works saying that Joseph was much older when he married Mary. They were saying that the older you are, the purer you must be. So Mary is not threatened through heat of passion by this older man. Now, does that square with human experience? <laughs> right? The point of someone like Pope John Paul II was, it's not a matter of how old you are, it's a matter of how virtuous you are. So if the Holy Spirit could inspire Mary to give herself by way of virginal love, he could do the same for St. Joseph. And this is shown in the response of Mary, I do not know man. The RSV mistranslates it, by the way, I have no husband. That's not in the text, it's I, have, I know not man. And she says it, and the, the statement makes no sense if she's not, uh, not possessive of a determined will to stay in that state. Because she knows that she's espoused to Joseph. She knows exactly how she can conceive. When they start living together in the normal course of a marriage, the pregnancy will come. But she says, I do not know man. It's a statement about a commitment she has made. And Pope John Paul II speculates that Joseph would have agreed to this being inspired by the Holy Spirit himself. Um, how old would Joseph have been when he got married? He would have probably been in his teens. That was the Jewish custom of the time. So to protect the mystery of the Incarnation, you could well argue that you didn't want to attract attention to anyone. So a far older man would attract attention. 
a younger man, it just seems like everything's normal. So the point is about the virtue of Joseph, his response to the Holy Spirit, and how deeply he loves our Blessed Mother. He's obviously gifted beyond any other man with the capacity for love. That he gives his heart to Mary and to serving the mystery of the upbringing of Jesus. He's the extraordinary man that we're looking at. Now, getting back to St. Joseph, uh, remember, with all this argument going on, and people like St. Jerome and uh, different other fathers were defending this virginity of Mary and of Joseph. And St. Augustine imagines that Joseph is very upset because he's saying, why is it, basically, that you do not recognise this child was also given to me? And this is what he writes. Were we to put Joseph aside, so we're embarrassed about Joseph. In all those pictures where he's just in the background of the lantern, we're embarrassed about him. We don't want to talk about him. That's not the way we should be. It's in the Gospels, this extraordinary man who loved Jesus in this way. Were we to put Joseph aside in order to speak only of Mary, he would be right if he said to us, why do you separate me from my wife? Why do you not want the genealogy of Jesus to end with me? Would we then say to him, because you did not beget him in the flesh? Again he would answer, but Mary... But did Mary bear him only through the flesh? But the Holy Spirit wrought for her. He wrought for both of us. And he goes on. Both of them deserve to be called Christ's parents. Not only his mother, but also his father, who was a parent in the same way that he was the mother's spouse, in mind, not in the flesh. St. Augustine is understanding deeply what the Gospels were saying. And he goes on to say that the title Father should be given to St. Joseph. Nonetheless, he is not deprived of his fatherly authority since he is told to name the child. Finally, even the Virgin Mary, well aware that she has not conceived Christ as a result of conjugal relations with Joseph, still calls him Christ's Father. So Mary herself, the Virgin Mother of God, refers to Joseph as Father. And St. Augustine there is saying, well, if Mary did that, why can't we? Let's have a deep look at the mystery of the Incarnation. One of the reasons why we want to look at this side of the mystery of the Incarnation is because of the importance of the family and of fathers in the lives of their children, of husbands in the lives of their wives. By the mystery of the Incarnation, that God truly became man, accepting that in its fullness, Christ needed a man to act as an authority figure for him, to teach him how to be a man, to form his character, his way of dealing with women and children and other men, to teach him discipline, virtue, and by the custom of the time to teach him about the law, to teach him about prayer, so that he might grow up into the kind of man he was meant to be, to preach the kingdom, to give his life for us. Mary was not the only one involved in that process of education of our Lord. Joseph was intimately involved in that education. And when you look at that phrase, he was obedient to them, this is a part of the mystery of the Father's will for Jesus. 
that in his very humanity he was shaped by another man who takes the place of the Heavenly Father. Joseph was not only influential in the life of Christ, he was necessary according to the Father's plan, the Heavenly Father's plan. That means he shaped the character of Christ. It means Christ, according to his human knowledge, needed to be instructed. It means that when you look at Jesus, you don't only get the physical qualities of Mary and her very wonderful virtues, you also have reflected the character traits of Joseph. The way that he spoke and the way that he acted and the way that he worked as a carpenter, this trade that Joseph had taught him, all of this is reflecting something of Joseph. Now, when you look at this then, Joseph is someone who prepares Christ for his mission. And Joseph becomes a living reflection of the Father's love. So, as Pope John Paul II wrote in Redemptoris Custos, that when Jesus was looking at Joseph, Joseph was making present the love of the Heavenly Father. So that the love that the second person of the Blessed Trinity had experienced from all eternity is now experienced in his human nature through Joseph. That is an extraordinary reality. It shows you that the depth of the incarnation, that Jesus truly was one of us whilst maintaining his divinity, being the second person of the Blessed Trinity. Uh, that means as well, of course, that when we look at the fatherhood of Joseph, it means that the Heavenly Father shared his fatherhood with Joseph in a unique way. Now, you might say, where is that taking us? When you've got someone like that who acted as a father towards our Lord Jesus, you have an excellent example for all fathers. Uh, it's very necessary in every age, but in our time too, to ask the question, what does it mean to be holy as a man? See, if we only emphasize our devotion to our Blessed Mother, it's one-sided. Now, no, when I'm saying this, I'm not taking away from her extraordinary position. But the fact of the matter is, as the Church reminds us, after Mary, there is Joseph. No one was more intimately involved in the life of Christ. So, he exemplifies for us a pattern of holiness for men, both married and celibate, including priests. What are some of the lessons that you could draw from the life of Joseph and the way that he was instrumental in the forming of the heart of Christ? Well, I think these are some of the lessons. Given the way that Joseph acted as it is presented in the Gospels. First of all, a man's acceptance of his wife and children is essential to family life his acceptance of them, his awareness that they are precious to him, that they have been given to him by God himself, as Joseph was aware that Mary and Jesus were given to him. Another lesson is fidelity to his wife and children is the foundation of a father's vocation. If a man thinks that he can just be involved with someone for a little while and then run away, that is a compromising, to say the least, of his fulfilment as a man. We say it's unmanly. Joseph stood by Mary and Jesus no matter what. His life was in danger. He stood by Mary and Jesus. 
He was safe in Nazareth and he worked out his years of hard work for Mary and for Jesus. That's fidelity. When we talk about who do children belong to, children belong first to God, who entrusts them to their parents. First to God. No one can say of his child, mine, in the complete sense. Only God can. This maintains the dignity of that child and it reminds the parents that they're meant to serve the true welfare of those children. The children are not for my self-aggrandizement or pleasure. If I love them and serve them, it will bring me deep joy. But I need to have in mind, one day I'm going to give an account to God of how I treated them and what I did for them. They are, first of all, God's children. Then parents have the privilege of being entrusted with the welfare of these children. A father needs to educate his children in the life of faith and love of God. So it's not only that he forms them to take up their place in society and to know how to work and how to deal with others. It's also that he knows, the child knows about God, what it is to pray, what it is to be faithful to God. Because otherwise the most important dimension of the child's life is not answered. A father needs to exercise due authority to properly form his children. Pope John Paul II referred to this, that sometimes parents think they're helping their children when they abdicate their authority. They've been given a position by God to form their children. They have to exercise that authority for the good of their children. This does not mean they have to be tyrannical. But it does mean they have to lead. It does mean they have to correct. It does mean they have to be able to discipline for the welfare of the child. A father's care and work is part of his love for his family and God. Sometimes in life we can see this part of our life as completely separate from God. But if you see your role as a father as one appointed by God, that your love for your family, you're working for them, you're protecting them, you're spending time with them, you're enjoying their presence and company, this is a part of one's love for God. An essential part of it for the Father. When you come to spiritual fathers, those who sacrifice marriage for the sake of the kingdom, they can look in Saint, to St. Joseph and they can find great illumination for their way of life. St. Joseph lived virginal fatherhood. Yet his was the greatest example of living the love of a father. So for those who aren't married, they don't have to feel as if they're less, or that married people can throw in their face, you don't have the privilege of having children, or you're less because you've made the sacrifice. No. In St. Joseph we find that they, in their love and care for people, can find deep fulfilment. And they're putting the same energies at work in a different way to the true service of other people, and the service of the kingdom of God. This particularly relates to priests. So particularly in priests, they can rediscover a sense of their worth and purpose. The priest deals with, as a spiritual, any spiritual father does, the father of family to some extent too, deals with the realm of faith. But the one who is prepared to say, I deliberately sacrificed marriage for the sake of the kingdom, is making a deep act of faith. 
the fruitfulness of what they're doing is very often not clear or manifest. St. Joseph, in his virginal fatherhood, found the deepest fulfillment. He realized in being with Christ and supporting his mission, he was doing something which was great and worthwhile. The priest should recognize the same. He deals with the mysteries of Christ, not the mysteries of a system or a teaching. The teaching in the system follows from the person of our Redeemer. The priest is at the heart of that mystery too. So that's why he can take St. Joseph as a special patron in the living out of his spiritual fatherhood. And a final point I'd say, a final lesson from the life of St. Joseph is that fatherly love comes to its completion in heaven. How important it is for all fathers to see that the fulfillment of their work relates to the glory of heaven. They want their children to be in heaven. And when we are left behind after our fathers, we want to realize in the mystery of God, due to the immortality of the soul, to God's promise of eternal life, their fatherly love does not end with earthly death. In fact, it continues on. So we should pray for our fathers. We should ask for their prayers and so on. So there's some of the points that I would make about what we mean by St. Joseph's fatherhood and how we can uh, take uh, him to our hearts. He's been appointed as the protector of the church. The idea behind that is because he served Christ so well, he would serve the brothers and the sisters of Christ. We are his brothers and sisters by baptism. So therefore his love would extend to us. So that's why we pray to him. We ask him for his help, in particular in the family. We ask him to protect the family. And even when we're dealing with the sacraments and with receiving Holy Communion well, we ask for his prayers because he was the breadwinner for Christ. He loved Christ with all his heart. So he's going to pray for us and help us to love Christ, who is the bread of life, as St. Bernard reminds us. The bread of life was given to St. Joseph this wonderful breadwinner, the St. Thomas Aquinas says, who served the mystery of Christ with such great love. I don't think there's much else that I could say, I and mean, there's a lot more I could say, but that's the essence of what I would like to say. And therefore, when we look at St. Joseph, that title that we give to him, that he's a living icon of the Father's love. What's an icon? It is a sacred representation which acts like a window into the world of God. So, because Jesus himself looked at the face of Joseph and saw there reflected something of the Heavenly Father's face, we too can look at him, see there reflected the love of the Heavenly Father and a reflection too of the love that every man should strive for in the service of Christ, in the service of those entrusted to his care. You have been listening to a Lumen Verum Apologetics Lecture by Father Bernard Gordon. For more Lumen Verum Apologetics lectures, visit cradio.org.au.